You okay? I'm tired today. Probably because you know, I convinced John to start Dumb and Dumber at 930 last night. So good. Yeah. We needed to laugh, and, you know? So we are talking about week six, Justice and Love, for Sunday, August 20th. But we're also going to recap a little bit last week since we didn't get to it, which was titled... For you, Ashley Slocum. <laughs> Welcome, listener, new listener, Ashley Slocum. <laughs> Gotta be careful what you tell us. First time listener. First time listener. And disappointed we didn't talk about the sermon. So <laughs> of that's last val- week. That's valid. That's valid. Would you say she has fury? There we go. I think she would. Well, that. that was delayed. Edit that together. <laughs> Long way to that well. Uh yes, love and furry what fury. Furry. fury. Again, you did it again. I did it again. <laughs> So we are talking about, we're going to talk about week five, a little bit, love and fury, and then week six, justice and love. Love and fury kind of sets the understanding of why God has anger towards sin and yet how he loves us. And then justice and love is the back part of that, of why we can have a forgiveness and yet we still seek justice because it is an injustice when we allow abuse and wrongdoing to continue because it could then not just hurt us, it could eventually hurt other people. And when we truly love the people who have hurt us, it doesn't mean we open our arms and invite them into our homes and say, oh, please keep hurting me. Loving somebody, how God calls us to, will lead us to a place where we actually seek real justice, where we will use the means available to us to stop injustice have people be confronted with the sins that they have done and to hopefully have them come to a place where they recognize what they have done, which leads to a place of repentance for them. So how, how would leading a discussion or leading people into a better understanding look like? Trying to consider not just how we have been wronged, but how we have wronged other people, because that is part of, I think, our repentance, recognizing the places that we have hurt others. I think too often when we think about forgive, we just sit back and think, oh, how have people hurt me? How do I need to forgive? But really, I think another question is, how do we need to go and seek reconciliation for the things that we have done? God has forgiven us and that we are righteous in his sight. We are called his children which gives us a basis and a foundation to know that we are now accepted by what Christ has done and we can own our failures. We can own our shortcomings so we can step in other people's lives and say, hey, I did this and I'm sorry for A, B, and C. How do we restore this now? Yeah, I think that's where we take it back to the cross and what what the cross does and actually leveling the ground we're on in seeing that what was poured out upon Jesus, like our hands wrought that. And when you talk about sin as an affront to like God's order and his, his perfect holiness, like it's so easy in our minds to um, create this hierarchy of sins and wrongdoings. And maybe the impact of that is different from person to person, but really we're just as culpable when you look at the cross and not that it dismisses the impact or cost of the wrongs done against us, but we realize that we're, just as much in need. This week's resource is going to, is like a six, seven page article. We're going to talk about Rachel Den Hollander's story of how she was abused by the USA gymnastics physician, Larry Nasser. And she's a believer. 
And yours may not be as extreme, but there's certain things you can recognize in this. She encountered a lot of ways that churches misunderstand what forgiveness is. Because one of the things is they say, you know, yes, sometimes there's outright corruption in a church where they don't want to go after a wrongdoer. But many times it's that churches don't understand what forgiveness actually is. When we talk about unity and grace and mercy and forgiveness, many times churches think that means letting people get away with things so you're not kind of rocking the boat, just learn how to get along. She goes to what we talked about last week and we'll talk about this week is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Understanding the cross and what Jesus did enables us to be a people who actually fight for what real justice is supposed to look like Well. Hoping in the end, a perpetrator comes to a place of repentance. Real repentance recognizes what we have done. It agrees with God and the other person about how we have hurt them. And that leads us to a place that says there are certain things that may come from this which are justified. Our worldly justice is just a parallel reflection of the justice of God. But that worldly justice can be used in ways to help people see what they have done and bring them back to a place of repentance. So her and her husband wrote this article and it's really long. It's called a white paper and it's really long. And it is all about what this is supposed to look like in a Christian context. And I think it's excellent. Mm -hmm. It's a great way for us to look at and understand what the cross brings and how it can lead us to places to speak about justice and what it should look like. She wrote this white paper and after a pretty extreme yes. situation, yeah. but it applies to every day. It, I think it applies to every day. It's one of the questions that was asked on Monday night at our cohort meeting that when are we going to get to the places where now we start to talk about justice and what it looks like? And I said, well, now it's coming. I have someone in my group who just ended uh, kind of a court trial. It's sad. I love this guy. And I, it's sad because now court system justice has been served. And I think, he's still discontent with the outcome and where his heart is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I think, affecting a lot of areas of his life to now not have that fight for that justice now that that's over. And now I think the question is now what? Hmm. He told me when, when the verdict was coming down and all that. And I asked him, I said, do you, do you get to address this guy? And he said, you know, if, if I wanted to, they, they'd let me. And I said, have you thought about it? This may be, the perfect opportunity for you to look at this guy and say what you did is is heinous and awful and the only hope for you is in the person of Jesus Christ. And he goes, I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And now he, I don't know if he regrets that, but he he's broken that he showed no remorse and showed, you know, that there was just this upper lip to him and hit sentencing and mm-hmm. it's really sad. I think that's where... God's fury can be such a comfort in the wake of consequences or acts of justice that fail to meet in our minds, like the the gravity of the sin or the wrongdoing. Yeah, because your fury can never match God's. Right. Just like our love never matches his either, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting, like in trauma research, there's this concept of like the empathic witness being so important to like conceptualizing and even like treating trauma. And it's like, Hmm, who does that sound like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think knowing that God is a, a God who in his perfect holiness, like sees and knows and identifies with that pain. Sometimes it can sound trite to people like in the midst of walking through those things, but that really is the ultimate comfort. So what if this week somebody reveals something that really needs 
to be addressed? How, how can our leaders, what should their initial steps be in, in helping? I think first step is always to like assess for safety. If it's something that's like ongoing and immediate, is there some kind of immediate risk? Acknowledging it, acknowledging the cost and the impact of the person and trying to understand their experience. There's the vertical and then the horizontal aspect. So going to deal with something. And so what happens if, yeah, what if it was a little bit of a bigger thing? Then everybody gets awkwardly quiet. And Hope not. Oh my goodness. Stares around the room. Oh, uh-huh. I, I think actually, yeah, that's a great example of what not to do because it can just leave the person feeling more vulnerable or exposed or just unacknowledged. So speaking into that person's experience, acknowledging their pain, offering comfort, not rushing to solutions. That's another thing that can mm-hmm. just feel so like painful in the midst of something that's hard or even complicated. I think prayer is always a great support. And then thinking about, you know, what other resources are needed? Is it law enforcement? Is it a medical professional? Is it therapy? Is it, you know, whatever it is. And you don't have to do that alone. You can right. reach out to us and right. Michelle, you have office hours every other Friday. Every case is different. And um, there's a lot, a lot of different things going on. In the scriptures, God talks about rebuking somebody and and rebuking is really important uh because it it means you are confronting that thing and god actually lays a responsibility on the person who is the victim that there's a responsibility we have to see that this is not happening to somebody else in the best way that we can and this is why we need other people around us right because so there's a there's a rebuke portion and then there is a love portion where god calls in the midst of it to also love and when we hear the word love we think i got to open my arms and i got to bring this people person back in and love could be making sure justice does get served love can come as as they're putting somebody in squad car love can come at the other end of a courtroom you know love can be i i love you enough to not allow you to continue to hurt people anymore and I think those pieces need to go together because if we don't have proper love, we are going to do what we do out of vengeance mm-hmm. and not out of justice. And sometimes our vengeance is, I don't say anything at all. And so this continues to perpetuate and then it makes us harder and harder inside and it allows that person to keep getting away with these certain things. And that decision may simply mean I don't feel like I have the inner strength to do this myself. So I'm telling you, so please help me to see this done. I was just going to say, I think those things exist in community yes. and that's very healthy because especially so many people in those situations freeze. Right. And that's a natural response. And they feel it's all upon them. Right. And, it's and then they can feel the shame later of like, well, why didn't you tell anyone? Why didn't you report? Right. And that's, that's to be expected or can be expected sometimes. Right. So kind of the corporate responsibility, I think, scripture lays upon us to expose evil yeah. and confront it in love. Maybe maybe that's the way you start. You, sh- you share that. It's it's really hard when someone has been abused or hurt to say, hey, this thing happened because they feel like they're going to be alone if they have to go and take care of it. So maybe it it's we're a community. If something needs to take place, we can do this together. You will not be in this alone. I like that. Ooh, I got an I like that. Nice. <laughs> So you may also want to set up, you know, the discussion time to be guys and gals separate, or, I mean, there might be other aspects to the meeting that could kind of foster something if you're suspecting or some sensitivity to that. You know, interesting thing, the statistics about uh, the number of guys who actually get abused, but they are much less willing to come forward. Yep. 
because it makes them less of a dude. Yep. There's got to be a safe space to be able to do that if any guy is going to come forward and talk about those things. So if a leader's hearing this and that scares them a little bit to try to have a conversation, how do they, how could one prepare? I don't know if you're ever prepared. <laughs> I, I think that this is, this is, again, why we should be a people of prayer who spend time with God and the Spirit so we are more readily available to listen to him in those moments. Jesus says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come as the comforter. He will guide you in those places. And you may not feel like your words are exactly adequate, but stop, pray, listen. God, what are you calling me into right now in the midst of this? I've done that in lots of places where someone's sharing something. And as they're talking to me, not that I don't want to listen to them, I just start praying, Mm -hmm. God, I need your words right now because I do not know what I'm even supposed to say here. I think a really good, just easy, simple principle for that is like prioritizing presence even over your words in that moment. Meaning in the immediate aftermath of like someone revealing something can be really easy to get in your head. Like I got to have the right thing to say. can't be too trite, but I have to be, you know, theologically clear, just showing up and demonstrating to that person that you're willing to draw near to them in that moment, even when it's uncomfortable for you because Jesus has drawn near to us. If you don't know what to do beyond that, you know, you can reach out to us and happy to help. Not that we'll have all the answers, but maybe some guidance, um, but not shying away from it, making a space where it's actually safe to name and reveal those things and know that there's a community that's loving and safe. Well, we uh, will be praying for you as you enter your conversations this week, uh, wherever they are, whether it's just with your family or uh, as you're leading a GC. And yeah, please reach out if you need us. So how was that, Ashley? Was that a little better? (laughs) One of the interesting things about this series is I think from the people I've talked to, it has caused a little deeper introspection on some things that I think has been healthy. It's been a good series. I think having this story about pivoting has really, for some reason, excited people. Like the story, like the process behind it. I don't know. There's, that seems to come up a lot too. Like, I don't, there's a, Aaron was willing to change. No, I don't know. But like, (laughs) I think it was like this collective ear pricking up of like, Mm -hmm. oh, this matters. Yeah, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Got our attention. That's a good way to put it. 